Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 12 of the Retrospectives podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I am joined once again by my co-host, James Sterlings. I am very grateful to have you back, James. How are you going? Yeah, pretty good, Pat. Uh, you uh, seems like you were struggling a bit last episode without me, so I uh, thought I'd just come back to, you know, give you a hand. Struggling is absolutely correct. For those who don't know, the last episode on Tony Hawk's, uh, James was very sick, so I had to do it solo. And even more worryingly, I had to do the editing, which is normally James Ballpark, and the final product was rather suspicious. So I am very grateful to have James back uh, helping me out. The um, the other significant upside is that my opinions are always elevated when James is there because in comparison, my opinions are so much better. When they're by themselves, they're not so obviously uh, the right one. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> nice repost there, James. So here on the Retrospectors podcast, what we do is we look at old games through a modern lens. What that means is that we're not trying to evaluate games in the context in which they were created. We're not trying to forgive games for their flaws and problems because of the limited hardware on which they were created. We are simply interested in answering the question, how good or fun are these games to play today? So... This week, we are doing Pokemon Snap, a Nintendo 64 title that is also available on the Wii U Virtual Console, and it is a game that James has selected. Before we get into the meat of the discussion, however, there are some technical issues that we had with this game that we need to go over first. So... On a basic level, uh, we played on the Nintendo 64 emulator called Project 64. But with this game, it doesn't work right out of the box. You have to do some modifications first. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of gameplay that is entirely cut out if you try to emulate this game using the default settings. And so, you know, after a lot of Googling and fiddling around, we managed to get it working in a pretty stable state. So what we'll do is we will link the instructions to fixing it up on emulator. So for those who want to emulate the game, you should be able to play it using the instructions. And we'll leave them on the main page on our website. Yeah, and the instructions, it's not stupidly complicated. It's a matter of following a few steps. I will note that I did see a slight performance drop in some areas with these settings. It's nothing uh, backbreaking, but it will affect your game in other ways. At the end of the day, it's still a completely 95% workable product, but I wasn't able to get a perfect emulation. That may be possible with more tinkering, but um, got most of the way there at least. Yeah, and if you don't want to bother with all that crap, then you know, just give it a purchase on the Wii U. Yeah, it's easier that way. So um, with me, Pokemon Snap, I have literally never played this game before. Um, I'm a person who has played pretty much every Pokemon game, and I was in the age group that were absolutely Pokemon fanatics when they were younger. So although I'm very familiar with the basic source material, I never sat down and played Pokemon Snap, which is an artifact of me never having um, owning a Nintendo 64. But uh, since James suggested the game in the first place, I imagine you're a little more familiar with it, right? Yeah, so back when I was going through, you know, uh, kind of grade 7, grade 8 back in school, one week I got very, very ill with the flu, not unlike last week. And, you know, I sat at home with a rented copy of Pokemon Snap all week, just, you know, playing the hell out of it. So I was wondering if it's still held up today. So the um, basic premise of Pokemon Snap is that it's an on-rail shooter where instead of shooting enemies, you take pictures of Pokemon. There are six or seven courses throughout the game and uh, you're in a little rail car that's going along rails. So you don't control your movement at all. All you really control is the orientation of your camera. There are a couple of items you get to interact with your environment. And the goal is to take good Pokemon pictures. You have to take Pokemon pictures where they're facing you, them doing interesting things, and them centralized in the frame. And as you go through the safari, you have varied opportunities to take those photos, and you need to take the best photos you can. That's the basic idea of the game. 
So now that you understand that, I'm going to turn the discussion over to James as he is the Pokemon Snap expert. Where <laughs> would you like to start with uh, talking about this game, James? Well, the first thing that strikes me about this game um, in comparison to a lot of others is that there's no explicit fail state in this game. There's no way to lose the game when you're playing it. It's a very... It's the video game equivalent of going on a nature walk and looking at the scenery. Um, there's no stakes. Nothing crazy is going to happen if you take a bad photo. You're just, you know, going through these levels, such as a beach, um, you know, enjoying the ride and taking photos. Uh, it's not a very mechanically demanding game. And what really strikes to me is just how enjoyable it still manages to be without being that demanding of the player. So what you're saying is that even though there's no intrinsic challenge, it's still an enjoyable game. I, I agree with you to a point that there is no straight up fail state or you died doesn't appear on the screen, but I still think that you can be failing at doing things in the game. You can be taking bad photographs and there's certain sequences of events that you can fail to do. You can fail your accuracy throwing things at people. I, even though the game doesn't tell you you failed, there is still the concept of failure, surely. No, I completely agree. That what I was trying to say was there's no explicit failure states. There's no game overs. Um, sure. You know, no continues. There's definitely, you know, implicit failures, you know, uh, taking bad photos. Because in this game, you're on rails and you can't slow your car or stop your car as you're traveling through these safari zones. Um, so if, you know, if you go past a cool Pokemon without taking a good picture, you know, you've got to do the whole thing again. And, you know, that's kind of like an implied failure failure right yeah it's a lost opportunity um a lot of the time you need to be in a very precise position at the right time aiming your camera in the right location to get what for me was a good photograph and i was very motivated in trying to get good photographs i always felt disappointed when my photograph was a little crappy so yeah I, you're right that although there's no um explicit failure condition i certainly felt like a failure after certain courses and with certain photos yeah absolutely um after each course you exit the level through the exit gate and then you're able to go through, you know, your 20, 30, 40 photos that you've taken and select about six of them to show to the Pokemon professor after the level and then he'll, you know, he'll give you a high score based on, you know, how good the photo was. The first thing he measures is how close you were to the shot. Did you get the entirety of the Pokemon in the photo, or was it too far away? You'll get a terrible score if you took the photo from behind and not the front of the Pokemon. And you'll also get a like a much reduced score if you don't get them in the center of the frame. So all of these things kind of contribute to whether or not the photo is considered good. And I guess, you know, you're right. The implied failure, the main one at least, is taking a bad photo and getting, you know, a really crummy amount of points. Because essentially, the game's progression system is tied to you amassing a total number of points throughout the game to unlock the new levels. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. It's got this intrinsically more relaxed yeah. uh, style to it because it's not beating you over the head with failure and there's no penalty or punishment for repeating a course as many times as you choose. So really a missed shot, the only thing that you're being punished is the time it takes to go through the course and try again. But uh, yeah, I, I agree that that gives you an overall more relaxed sort of atmosphere but i still think that there is a decent degree of challenge even if in some way it's self-imposed yeah absolutely uh pokemon snap is the in my opinion the ultimate uh, comfy game right you're just gently traveling along these courses looking at these adorable like creatures to take photos of there's no threats there's no tension there's just you and the environment and you know snapping pictures to your heart's content and you know i struggle to think of another game that gives this like comfy relaxed feeling you know other than maybe the sims or something like that you don't play many walking simulators, I guess. <laughs> I play walking simulators, but they always have, you know, story tension to them, at least. Uh, not always. There are there are some, uh, like, Proteus, where you're like, is this even a game? <laughs> but they have that similar sort of comfy feel. There's also a couple of uh, exploration games. But yeah, I agree with your overall point that on the face of it, at least, and I say on the face of it, Pokemon Snap is a uh, relaxing game. But when I started to get to the... Uh, end of the game and there were specific pokemon i needed to catch 
it got a little bit less comfy. Some of the challenges in this game are quite tricky to accomplish. And uh, you've got to be pretty precise with your ball throwing. Yeah, they can be. Um, so in this game, as you progress, you start off just being able to go through a level on your cart. Um, so the first level's the beach, and you know, it's just you and your camera. But as you unlock more and more, or you take better and better photos, and you know, you amass your overall score, the professor starts providing you with, you know, some items that you can use to kind of interact with the world. Um, so the first one you get, for example, is an apple that you can throw. And, you know, stationary Pokemon will walk towards the apple and start eating it. So, you know, you can use it to position them in better places to get better shots. Or you can just bop them on the head in a, an understated act of animal cruelty to knock them over. Or, in the case of Charmander, push him into a lake of lava, forcing him to evolve. You're doing him a favour. He got to evolve. Yeah, absolutely doing him a favour, knocking him out and <laughs> pushing him into his burning death. Lovely stuff. One of the things that really interests me about this game is, as we said, it's on rails. You have no control over where you're going through the level. But at the same time, it's still, to me, fundamentally an exploration game. You're not exploring in the sense of changing your location, you know, finding new areas that you haven't seen before. You're exploring in the sense that you're reaching out, throwing items in different spots and trying to goad Pokemon into the right spots or even find hidden ones in tall grass that you didn't know were there before. And I find that really interesting. If this is an exploration game, for me it's actually a pretty poor one. There were certain parts of the interactivity I enjoyed, but it's ultimately pretty limited and for every good piece of interactivity, I felt there was a poor one. Let me let me give you an example of what I mean. One of my favorite moments in the entire game is actually drawing on a bit of meta knowledge I have about the Pokemon universe. Because, you know, I'm like I said, I was playing at the age where Pokemon was the big thing at school. And so I know all of the original 150 Pokemon uh, in great detail. And I knew, for example, that the way Slowpoke evolved was that a shelter gets attached to his tail and he evolves into Slowbro. So there's a level where there's a Slowpoke near where shelters are, so you lure him over to the shelters. A shelter bites his tail and he evolves into Slowbro. Excellent. Really enjoyed that piece of interactivity. The bits I didn't get was when seemingly doing random things cause Pokemon to do random things or events to happen. Like there's a bit where you knock a, a Pokemon called Weepin' Bell into water and it evolves into Victory Bell. And to me, there's no sense to that either in the lore or in any hints in the level. It's just doing random event X gives you a random Pokemon that you didn't have access to before. And to me, exploration needs to have some sort of logical underpinning with it. There's got to be something to lead you from point A to B. If you're just doing random acts to see what happens as a result of those random acts, it starts becoming a much less enjoyable experience. Okay, I quite disagree. I think there was much more fun when there was the sense of surprise or you found something unexpected because you just happened to try that new idea that popped into your head. And that example you gave of the um, the Weeping Bell turning into the Victory Bell, I quite enjoyed. It's just a random number generator at that point. Like you're, you're inputting a random input and getting a random output and hoping it works. I don't think that's quite the case because, you know, 
Earlier in the game, there was a lava pit that, you know, you quite obviously were able to knock that Charmeleon into to evolve it into the Charizard, and it's really just an extension of that idea. You know, there's the same Weeping Bell walking around a pool of water. Just by throwing something at it, pretty likely to knock it in um, after a couple of shots. Yeah, so the thing about the Charmeleon thing is, like, there's a scene earlier on that same level where there's a Charmander and a Magma will attack it if you do the right thing and it turns into a Charmeleon. And I kind of like that because, you know, the idea is that he's a fire Pokemon with a fire tail and when the fire gets bigger, he evolves, right? At least that's what I remember vaguely from my time watching the Pokemon TV show. So I was like... Yeah, the Charm- Charmeleon goes in lava. It's, uh, I can kind of see a somewhat logical link there. Wasn't there for the other case. And I know that it's all like silly game logic. It isn't like hard logic. But to me, there's got to be something. Another example that that worked a bit better for me was at some point you need to take a bunch of photos with Pikachu being near Diglets, And if you do that, a Doug Trio emerges. Yeah, I like that one. And while on the... F- face of that it's just random things at the very least there is a clue in the level if you hit a nearby electabuzz it lights up a screen that shows you a picture of pikachu with the doug trio so for me i don't need much but i need something when it when it's purely random the exploration as you said doesn't appeal to me as much yeah so i actually completely disagree still i find that if i can see a hint in the level and then I can, like, foresee the outcome ahead of time. When I actually get to the reward, it just it doesn't feel as exciting because I saw it coming, essentially. I'm not surprised or delighted by this new outcome because I guessed that it was going to happen and I was right. So for me, a lot of the best uh, interactions with the environment were the ones where I got a completely unexpected outcome. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I think we're just uh, diametrically opposed on this. I, I need there to be a logical link there. It can't just be random things happening. But um, despite your grievances with the system, would you would you agree that it's somewhat... There's like there's exploration and experimentation in the systems there, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, not, it's not that there isn't exploration and experimentation. I just felt like it was a little 50-50 in terms of how well it was executed. There were some I really liked, uh, others where... So without looking at walkthroughs or anything, I got to about 57 of the 63 Pokemon in the game. And then doing some of those last one, I was like, how were you meant to figure this out? Like the one that really annoyed me was evolving Grimer into Muck. You just have to hit him four times, uh, three or four times, and he evolves into Muck. I'm like... There's literally nothing that suggests that that would happen if I would do that. Am, am I meant to just use every single item on every single Pokemon over the course of every course to figure these things out? Like, I don't know. If I have to get out a checklist and combine every combination of A with B and C, etc., I don't know. It's just not for me. I, I like it when there's a there's a way to figure these things out within the mechanisms of the game itself. Okay, the muck example I can agree with. That was kind of that was kind of bullshit. There is definitely a scale for this system where it gets to be annoying. But I think that for me, in most cases, it did hit the sweet spot. And it's interesting to me because I don't believe I've ever played another game that I would consider to be exploration-based where I can't, you know, move my character, essentially. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It's it's a different sort of um, perspective because, yeah, on-rail games, like, don't really exist nowadays. An on-rail game where you're taking photographs is even weirder. And an on-rails game where you take photos, but you're huff- but it's all about interacting with the environment and getting new and weird things to happen is fairly unique so certainly one of a kind yeah and i I personally place a quite a high valuation on unique experiences in my games you know there's hundreds of thousands of games these days to choose from and there aren't that many um, anymore that i would really consider to be unique experiences and i think this is definitely one of them when, um, when I was playing this game, I was doing searches for games like Pokemon Snap. Um, from my personal experience, it's like I played Beyond Good and Evil, which has a camera minigame attached to it. Uh, Bioshock and Bioshock 2 have a camera, 
but they're basically just ways to uh, do extra damage to enemies ultimately. And there's a there's a random African safari game called Africa that I've never played in my life. And the only other game that seems similar was one called Fatal Frame, which is a horror game where you kill ghosts by taking pictures of them. But that's it. <laughs> like, they're, they're, it, it was certainly a unique experience. And like you, I did value it for its novelty. Yeah, um, and taking good pictures is actually pretty satisfying, um, especially one of the mechanics of the photo taking that I really like is that you get a lot of extra score by managing to get a heap of the same Pokemon in one shot. And so some of the levels, it becomes a real game to try and get you know, as many of these little critters in the photo as you can, you know. One of the ones that stands out to me is in the volcano level, there are a bunch of Charmander just before an egg that's blocking your way on the track, and you can use the egg to block your cart so it stops moving, and then spend a good five to ten minutes throwing apples to lure, like, twelve Charmanders into the same spot to get an absolutely massive score, and I found that really fun. Yeah, I have to say that uh, exploration aside, the main thing I enjoyed about this game, I guess, for like the what you'd call the core photography mechanics, um, taking good shots. That That's what I enjoyed more than coming up with the sequence of events I needed to unlock this thing by doing random things. So um, taking good shots by using your items to lure people around. And later on, you get a thing that lets your cart speed up like you just hold down a button and you zoom along the track a lot faster. And um, getting that upgrade was huge for me because there were a number of spots where I was really annoyed that I was like, how is it even possible to get a good photograph when the Pokemon disappears before I can get close to it? But if you time those speed boosts correctly, you can get in really good positions uh, to take pictures of Pokemon. So I um, I enjoyed manipulating my environment to get the best shot possible, you know, framed well. And uh, when I saw the final photo in the album, it gave me a, uh, a rush of pleasure when I, when I nailed it perfectly. Yeah, and I really liked the, like the little scoring segments at the end of each level. I thought that the way they... Uh, I think it's got a lot of good feedback in the way the points just start, you know, skyrocketing if you've done a really good job. And, you know, Professor Oak giving you good feedback is, you know, a little, a little fun for your inner child. Yeah, Im- importantly, the points you get are usually reflective of how good you feel about the shot. Um, it's not always true. But most of the time, when you take a good photo, you'll get a good point score. Um, there was one annoying exception that really um, pissed me off. Uh, you know how you can get the Magnemites to evolve into a Magneton? Yes. Like the, by putting them on top of one another? Once again, that's another good example I liked. I'm like, I'm using my Pokemon knowledge here. Um, but I took a photo with the, the Magneton right in the middle. It was really close. It was perfect. But because the center of the photo was the gap between the three Magnemites, he's like, eh, eh, terrible oh, photo, get there. good. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, amazing. But, uh, but most of the time, uh, most of the time, he it, it was fairly reflective. So it was accurate enough that I was happy with it. And it was very consistent too. There were very clear and consistent rules to what constitutes a good shot. Uh, and I really yes. appreciated that because it made... Uh, knowing what you had to do, you know, that much clearer to the player. Yeah, one of the um, one of the issues I had when I first started playing the game before I got the plug-in was it was difficult to know if a shot counted as a center shot or not. But the um, but it's very uh, useful when when you've got the plugin installed and everything. Your reticle goes red when the when the Pokemon's at the center of the frame, so you know that when you take the photograph. And normally, you know when you've taken a good photograph even before you've seen the the picture of it ready to show to Oak. Yeah, before I'd realized that the game was a broken mess without that plugin. Um, the reason I figured that out was because there's a number of Pokemon that you can only find if you take the picture while the dot is red like muck for example to get that grimer to even appear you have to take a middle shot of the first two grimers in the level um, and then the third one will rock up but you know i was taking these center shots perfectly 
like four times in a row and you know that third grimer just wasn't appearing so you know after a lot of googling i found out that it was because the game was bugged and i couldn't actually get that red dot to appear yeah it was um luckily i i didn't go too far in so i only got a couple of courses unlocked before uh james saved me Speaking of the courses, I guess, um, there's not a whole lot of variety to the locations. One of the things that disappointed me about the game is just how kind of like generic the locations you were visiting were. And it was somewhat saved by the personality and, you know, attention to detail in the Pokemon themselves that inhabited the area. But overall, I wish that the environments had been a bit more exciting. Okay, um, can you tell me what you mean by that? Because that wasn't a problem that I encountered at all. Like, you had the power station, you had a cave and a river. Like, if you look at the world of Pokemon, these locations se- seemed pretty, pretty fair to the sort of places you'd explore in the Pokemon games. So what, what was your expectation for the locations? I guess just the locations are a bit bland, right? Like there's the beach and there's a river and there's a volcano, which, you know, actually they actually did a pretty good job of making the levels themselves interesting. But the themings of leech levels were very, very straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess for me, thematically, having a volcano level makes sense because in the Pokemon games, there's a volcano section I think that the blandness comes out more in the, I guess, the architecture of the levels. Like, this is very much Nintendo 64-era 3D. So uh, they're kind of like big, ugly spaces, hugely stretched polygons. There's a lot of awkward angles going on uh, for the mountains and everything. But in terms of how how they are thematically, I don't know what else I'd expect. Yeah, I guess I guess it's unfair. The world of Pokemon is, you know, aside from the creatures themselves, pretty grounded in reality, honestly. So yeah, which works to its benefit as well, I think, because yeah, the world of Pokemon is so you're able to connect with it so much because it is so much like our world just with Pokemon. So uh, to me, the the lack of fantastical locations isn't a problem, even though. The, the, the main problem I have with it, I guess, is the bland aesthetic. Uh, but um, what, what you were saying about the personality of the Pokemon, I think is absolutely true, though. Yes, um, I think the graphics of this game haven't aged very well, as you were saying. There's a lot of painfully stretched textures all over the place. But the Pokemon themselves look... Now, the models are a bit dated, but the animations on the little critters are absolutely great, and their personalities really shine through in the game world. And I think that really absolutely helps the game as a result. I think that, um, once again, it's hard to talk about Pokemon designs as anything other than a very invested Pokemon player. But I think that the original Pokemon designs, the original 150, are absolutely brilliant like actually brilliant in how well they all stick to your memory. Each Pokemon has a pretty simplistic design, but it's not that it's boring. They all take a particular aspect or aesthetic and amp it up to 100, but they still exist in such a way that if you gave a child a piece of paper, they would be able to draw their favorite Pokemon no problem whatsoever. They're all immediately all stand out. They pop out of the environment. Their colors are wonderful. You can tell by the silhouette what Pokemon you're looking at, right? So I don't know. I, I think that the design of the Pokemon is brilliant and that elevates the aesthetic as a whole. I'm sorry, I'm not disagreeing with that. I think that the original designs are absolutely timeless. Um, my sure. my criticism was more on the Nintendo 64's low-poly models. Um, sure, like yeah, Their reputation yeah. in-game, they're a bit low. And one of the reasons this sticks out to me specifically is because this is a game about taking photos of these low-poly models Um, Mm -hmm. So in that respect, you know, I think the game's aged a little poorly. But as you said, the designs are fantastic. So I think it's still, you know, an enjoyable thing to do because of that. And, you know, as we said, in the game world, 
these Pokemon act like they do, you'd, like you'd expect them to in the show. They're overflowing with charm in the game world. The way they react to each item you throw. Um, there's an item that's just the poker flute from the first game, and when you play it, you know a lot of them will jump up and start dancing in this really endearing way. And I think that that kind of level of charm really helps to make Pokemon Snap that comfy, relaxed, charming experience. I think my favorite example of the charm is um, if you rescue these Jigglypuffs as you're moving through the cave level, at the end of the level, they'll be on a platform singing to you. But uh, if you play the Pokey Flute while they're singing, they'll get really mad at you <laughs> and... Uh, they have grumpy faces, which, uh, and once again, I, I can't remember if this is like in-game lore or if it's from the TV show, but I definitely remember Jigglypuffs being incredibly annoyed if anyone else hogged the spotlight from them. So uh, that was a nice little moment. Yeah, I like that too. And it made for a great photo of these, you know, three grumpy Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I'm sure will feature somewhere. Yeah, and so I've harped on a little bit about the models and stuff like that. Did you have anything particular to say about the game's aesthetics? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I've kind of gone into it in uh, great detail already. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess the thing that stood out to me is the Pokemon were all brilliant. The environments were a little bland. Uh, I was interested in how the fact that it was on rails... Uh, affected the graphical uh, performance. You're not able to free roam in this game, which actually works to the game's asset because a lot of the graphics from the Nintendo 64 and PS1 era, when you're fully controlling the camera, it's ugly. You're constantly seeing the inside of mountains and like weird, weird overlaying textures and stuff like that because you're on rails and in a fixed location all of the 3D tricks it comes up with all work perfectly. Um, you you never see uh, these horizons just expanding into nothingness. You're always perfectly positioned. Uh, so yeah, my, my overall feelings on the graphics and aesthetics is that the Pokemon look fantastic, filled with emotion and uh, attitude. They really pop out of the levels. Uh, the levels themselves are thematically pretty normal, uh, but... Like I said, it's what you expect. And uh, some of the ugly Nintendo 64 texture stretching is a bit annoying, but ultimately not to the great detraction of, of the levels. The aesthetics are perfectly fine. Um, I'm, I'm happy with them as a person who loves Pokemon. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say they detract from the experience at all. Actually, one of the things I really liked was um, Professor Oak appears as like a 2D sprite on the main menu um, that's kind of animated. And I thought he actually like really nailed the look of him from the anime which was really good yeah it did make me uncomfortable when he started speaking though like i'm so used to professor oak speaking or not speaking and just being text uh on your screen so hearing the voice of professor oak was off-putting for me i would have preferred it just being text really that's so weird yeah, I've, I've got my preferences for what Pokemon's like. Pro Professor Oak's not meant to talk. I was actually quite pleasantly surprised at the fact that there was voice acting on the N64, honestly. I'll pass. Um, speaking of sound, this one's a little interesting for me. I don't think that the music in this game is the kind of music that you would go out of your way to listen to after the fact, but I did think that the instruments that they chose for each soundtrack were very on point. Each track for each level does a really good job of nailing the atmosphere that the level's trying to go for. You know, you're going down the river and there are these gushing water sounds or you're in this beach level and you can hear this really uh, iconic Hawaiian-themed music almost. And I thought that each track did a very good job of communicating the atmosphere to the player. Yes, uh, the music was fine. I particularly liked the uh, cave and tunnel music. I think the tunnel music was my favourite. It was like a bit spooky and echoey. 
And uh, I, I like that a lot. I'm really just not fundamentally not a fan of the upbeat tunes, though, which is okay. I know a lot of people love them, but I, I just cannot get into these cheery, chippy tunes like the ones on the beach and stuff. Um, I, I don't know. The music was fine. There were a couple of tracks I enjoyed. The rest were whatever. I agree with you that the sound design is pretty on point, though. It's more environmental sound, but that's what you want. You're on rails. You don't need a million different sound effects. You just want to be somewhat immersed in the uh, in the environment that you're going through. And I was immersed, so... Yeah, I um, actually really liked the cave as well, um, and I thought the valley was pretty good too. I think that the music is good, but it's not excellent. It does a really good job of setting the tone for each level, but other than that, I don't think it really you know rises above to be one of these all-time great soundtracks. Yeah, I agree, and part of that is the fact that it's designed to be minimalistic and in the background as you're going on a safari. Uh, as opposed to in your face. But yeah, it it does what it does very well. I thought it was fine, and with a couple of tracks I enjoyed. I give it a B for better than Banjo-Kazooie. You give every every soundtrack a B for better than Banjo-Kazooie, and that's because you have bad taste. Some some of them get A's, but yeah, most... I'd say that that's the minimum grade for most soundtracks. (laughs) Um, So this game... So Patrick, you're a big story guy, right? Tell us a bit about the story of Pokemon Snap. Are you you for real, James? (laughs) Well, you don't want to tell me about the grand adventures of Todd Snap and uh, his camera? The game doesn't have a story. (laughs) It has a story, almost. Like, maybe. Listen, James, you tell me what the story is, because I don't know what the story is if this game has a story. You play as Todd Snap, a renowned Pokemon photographer. Is that his actual name? Yeah, it's Todd Snap. How great is that? Oh, God. Todd actually appeared in the TV show, and I don't know why they made his name Snap. It's kind of painful, but um, you're essentially just helping the professor with his research by taking pictures. You know, there's not really much to that other than the fact that you're tracking down a super rare Pokemon on the island that the game takes place on. And to that end, finding this super secret Pokemon involves taking a picture of six important landmarks hidden throughout the uh, the world. How do you find finding those? Well, firstly, talking about it in a story sense, it doesn't make any sense at all. No, it I doesn't. Mean, <laughs> why, does, why does taking some pictures of landmarks around the world help you find... The Pokemon. I, I don't understand it. But the actual mechanical process of finding those landmarks was great. I enjoyed it. It was a nice change of pace from um, from finding, you know, taking pictures of Pokemon, having to constantly scanning your environment to find Pokemon that, you know, find landmarks that look like Pokemon. There was one that took me forever to find, and eventually I gave in and consulted a walkthrough. It was the... Um, it was the volcano? The smoke- yeah, the smoke yeah. cloud that apparently resembled coughing. Yeah, I, uh, I found that very difficult too. I had to look it up as well. Like, I didn't even think to... I think I may have thrown something in that volcano to trigger the smoke cloud at one point and then decided it did nothing. So uh, that was my failing. But in general, yeah, it was fun. I want to talk once more about the um, the device you get at this point, which is the speed up thing. It's called the R drive or something. I think this was one of the best upgrades they possibly could have given you because yes. to me, it's an upgrade that both enhances gameplay, but is also a massive quality of life improvement. And being able to bring those two things together is wonderful. And it doesn't happen enough in games because the primary downside of this game mechanically is that if you miss an opportunity to take a photo, you have to like restart the course or go through the rest of the course slowly. Or if it's at the end of the end of the course, you have to monotonously go through the course for a couple of minutes before you get where you need to go. The R drive doesn't only let you get in good positions to take Pokemon. It also lets you skip, essentially skip the boring parts of the course that you're already done with. So being getting that upgrade at that point when the game is like mostly finished in inverted commas was was fantastic it was a very good design choice yeah i absolutely agree um it was getting a bit uh, almost a bit tedious at points having to re-go through mm-hmm. levels to get things that you missed so that uh that ability to go that much faster really helped me um to you know not find 
the repetition annoying because you know you're just going through it pretty quickly mechanically i finding those pokemon hidden in the environment was good um it would have been nice if they were slightly more hidden i guess some of them were very were very obvious but you know it is what it is and uh at least one was so hidden that i needed to find a walkthrough so yeah the one i needed to find a walkthrough to find was gyarados um i thought that that one was pretty challenging to find you had to do about two or three different things in the level to get it to appear but it was quite satisfying once i got it Oh, sorry. I, I'm talking just about the um the environmental Pokemon. Sorry, like the uh, yeah, yeah, you know, like the coughing. So, so the idea is that there are disguised environmental features that resemble Pokemon, and you have to take photos of those to get the final stage. Uh, what James is talking about is hidden Pokemon in the sense that you have to do a series of things in order to get a Pokemon to appear. And it was certainly more than one that I was missing. I was missing about six to seven at the end of the game that that I, I didn't know how to activate. One of them was Muck, but yeah, Gyarados was another one that I couldn't find. Gyarados was a lot more fun to activate than Muck was, though, at least. Um, yeah. You know, even though I had to look it up, it took me a couple goes, but I found it to be, you know, quite entertaining. Did you Did you end up getting them all by the end? It's quite a short game. Yes. Um, so like I said, I've found 56 or 57 of the 63 without without a walkthrough. And then I'm like, I, I don't know how to find these other ones. And it was at the stage where I was like, I, I feel like I'm at random number generator, like doing stuff to different Pokemon and different things will trigger different responses. But I have no idea how to actually go about it. And while mm. that was true for some of them, some of them, I guess I could have logicked my way through, but um, I didn't want to go through each course 50 times trying every combination of everything to find those last Pokemon, so I did look up a walkthrough. Yeah, absolutely. I mentioned the length before, but the game is only about five hours long, which I think is a pretty good length for this style of game. You know, it's very unique, but I can imagine that best is a short and sweet experience. It um, reminds me of Tony Hawk's in that way because it's a simple game and if they tried, you know, if this game just stretched up to 15 hours, I'd be sick of it. You could potentially include more content like Tony Hawk's did in its later entries and you'd want to play more of it because at the end of it, I was like, I want more Pokemon Snap. But uh, for what the experience is with the tools you get at your disposal, it is the perfect length. so you've been pretty positive about this game so far i'm actually kind of surprised i was expecting you to completely hate this i i don't know why like the game well to start with it's all gameplay like uh the lack of a story works in its favor if i was stuck down with some crappy story that would have been points off immediately but the thing is i've always liked photography in games like uh beyond good and evil is one of my treasured adventure games from my childhood and the best part of that game was the photography so being able to revisit photography as a game mechanic is something i was really excited for and i enjoyed it a lot i mean i've got little annoyances but the fact is the core photography mechanic in this game is really good and really well implemented so i, I why did you think i wouldn't like it i guess maybe it's because it's not like a mechanically demanding game and as we've spoken previously, that's something you quite value highly. And, you know, this kind of game, it's like, it's really relaxing and comfy and it doesn't demand much of the player. And for me, I thought that might turn you off, honestly. Um, the game, for me, I, I don't mind if a game is um, is a comfy game, as you say. I've got um, I've got another number of comfy games that I play. Like most recently, uh, Outer Wilds, it's just a big explorer map. That's that's all it is. There's no stakes. There's no pressure. You can do the loop as many times as you choose. Uh, no problems. For me, I guess what I hate more than anything else is when a game wastes my time. And one of my major complaints about this game was going to be the fact that you have to go through courses over and over again at this slow, monotonous speed. And then I got the R drive and I'm like, this is this is perfect. I mean, this is the perfect solution for the problem. So... I don't know, man. Like, uh, 
if a game doesn't waste my time and the core gameplay is good, then I'm pretty much on board for it. All right, sweet. So um, that's a recommend for you then, I take it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I do recommend Pokemon Snap. Uh, I'm actually shocked, as I'm sure many people are, that there were never any real sequels made to this game. There's so many things you could do to expand on this. Like, nowadays, you could take the game off rails, no problem. Like, make the whole game a Pokemon Safari where different Pokemon react to you in different ways. Playing this game sends my imagination spinning with the thought, sorts of things I could do with sequels. Like, I really want to play a Pokemon photography game that just dramatically expands on this concept. But for what it is, Pokemon Snap is really good and there's not any competition out there. So, yeah, I absolutely do recommend this game. There are some niggles. Like, it's not... It's never going to be one of my top 10 games of all time. But as you said, the fact that it's a unique experience and it's a unique, enjoyable experience absolutely gets my stamp of recommendation. It's a good game. Yeah, and particularly because it's very short, you know, we clocked about five hours. To be that unique and that short, it's really hard to be like, ah, it's it's a bit hard to fit this in. You know, you can just play this whenever and it's, you know, a great time. Uh, I absolutely recommend this as well. And, you know, as you were talking about, I think that this could be its own series with a whole bunch of sequels. They could do so much with this, and I'm really disappointed that they haven't so far. Can you imagine this game in VR? That would be incredible. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Like, I swear they could make money hand over fist if they were to, if they were to do it. And it boggles me because I really don't think it's too complicated. It's not like there are technological problems with it anymore. It's just, it was never done. I, it, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand why they haven't done something more with this idea or just with photography games in general. Maybe there's some complication to it that I don't understand, but I swear Pokemon Snap 2 would be a roaring hit. So, yeah. With, with yes. Tony Hawk, when I finished Tony Hawk, it's a simple game. When I finished it, you can play Tony Hawk 2, 3, 4, 5. There's a million games in the series that expand on the concept. Pokemon Snap, it's like, play this random adventure game that also happens to have photography and that's it so yeah absolutely agreed so a uh, big yes from both of us here um we've got a bit a little extra bit of time left because this was a short one um so i just wanted to give you a quick question if there was a sequel what were some things that you would like to see in it uh me uh well like like i said sorry i thought that was a question to the audience for a second there uh so what what i would like to see is i want to see them take it um free roaming like i i'd love to have a fully 3d off rails pokemon snap experience obviously that has a host of logistical problems but there's no reason in today's world that such a thing couldn't be possible like, imagine the world of Pokemon, but instead of getting into fights and stuff as, as you do in the normal Pokemon games, instead you're just a wildlife photographer who, who has to keep positioning himself to, uh, to try and find all of the Pokemon. And you can have, like, the area around you at the start of the game with Rattatas and Pidgeys as normal, the common Pokemon, and rarer Pokemon as you venture further and further into the wilderness. All of the things that make the normal Pokemon game uh, work with increasing rarities of Pokemon and the desire to catch them all works perfectly for a Pokemon Snap game. And in fact, you still want to capture them all, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that that's what I'm keen for, James. What about you? Do you are you married to the on-rails concept or do you have something else? In I actually am. I think, I think that the on-rails uh, idea adds a lot to the uniqueness of the game but i would like to see a bit more freedom as you would maybe branching paths mm -hmm. you know imagine you're in a mine tunnel and you throw an apple at a lever that switches the track that you're on and that kind of thing so you know there's still that bit of exploration and touching and feeling around the world um, and you do get a little bit of freedom but i think that that constant forward movement giving you the opportunity to miss shots actually does add a bit to that feeling of eventually getting that good shot so i think that having you be able to miss shots is an important thing that i would like to keep in the series yeah i mean there are different ways you can do it for example you could limit the amount of film that you can take with you on a more open world game in uh, pokemon snap you've got like 60 shots per per uh, ride which may as well be infinite 
uh, for the sake of it. So, but but I take your point. The um the on rails experience does offer a unique angle, um, and like you said, uh, branching paths, special events. Like you have to trigger a special event by I don't know hitting five switches or something. I I, I don't know. I I don't know. The the thing is nothing's been tried. Like the there's an ocean of possibilities of things that people could try with this game, and I'd be open to whatever the developers of Pokemon Snap 2 wanted to do. But uh, the fact that there isn't a sequel is a real tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess that about brings us to the end. And as we've seen, we both love this game. Um, It's not either our favorite game of all time, but it's absolutely a recommend. So, you know, check it out. If you're going to emulate it, make sure you look out for the instructions on our website for getting it running smoothly. With that said... Next week, Patrick, your game's coming up, and I know you told me what game we were going to play, but I absolutely cannot remember. <laughs> so, how about you? How about you remind me um, and the well, audience? Well, firstly, for us? James, I'd like to thank you for finally getting us to play a game from your childhood that isn't complete garbage. So, uh, points to you oh, there. Yeah. We've, uh, we've made great strides. We're going to another game from my childhood, and uh, as it is me, it is of course a shooting game. But it's a shooting game that I remember the shooting not being the highlight. It's called Max Payne. Max Payne is a game where the story has stuck with me. It's like a neo-noir tale. It's, you know, very black and white, very gritty, very horrible things happen. So from a storytelling perspective, it's right up my alley. I tend to like the more bleak, depressing, gritty stories over the happy ones. Uh, It's also famously the game that, introduced bullet time into the mainstream if it if it wasn't the first to have bullet time as a core gaming concept it was at the very least the game that popularized it so max Payne, i'm mainly interested in revisiting it for the story and i'm not looking forward to platforming those blood trails because uh i have nightmares about them and i'm sure you will too when we uh when we get to it oh boy i'm looking forward to it um yeah no i have no experience with the max Payne series um apart from watching the movie when I was younger. And let me say, that movie was god-awful, so I can only imagine what the story in the game yeah, is like. Yeah, video game movies are, are no good. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely cheesy <laughs> noir, and I, I, love, I love noir. So um, one of my favourite guilty genres that I enjoy. So I'm mainly interested in revisiting it for the story, but of course it's a video game, so I will be evaluating it on all fronts. Yeah, and with that, I guess we've reached the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Um, You can find us and the rest of our content at our website on rspodcast.net or follow us on Twitter at retpodcast, that's R-E-T podcast, for all kinds of reviews and silly articles from both myself and mostly Patrick. Well, I mean, certainly, certainly silly articles from James. My articles are all masterpieces. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we we have all the content on our website. We always put up an article um, which is related to the podcast episode. So if you don't have time to, you know, listen to the full cast, you can go check out the article. So uh, please do go and check that out and let us know what you think. And from both of us, thanks for listening and have a good week. Ciao.